Welcome to Demand Does the Six Questions, where the same six questions can tell a unique story. I am your host, Demand, father of two, husband of one, and leader of this here Demondcast. My guest is from Seattle, Washington. She has performed at Carnegie Hall not once, but twice. Please welcome. Twitch streamer and creator and showrunner of the Packless Patrons web series, Riley Grant. How you doing? I'm doing well. How about you? Thank you for taking time out to talk to a nearly perfect stranger. Anytime. <laughs> For those of you who have not heard of Disputed and, or listened to Disputed, and shame on you if you haven't, Riley was on Disputed and advocated for, um, it was Indiana Jones. Yeah, that's correct. I was on Indies at Cassie, which was quite um, the preparation to do that for, honestly. Especially with uh, those that, that second movie and that last movie. Whoo, boy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my goodness. And to your credit, you've referenced Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull, I want to say three times in that episode. So that was impressive. That is an impressive feat. That shows the dedication of your, of your skills. So I appreciate Thank that you. too. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I, I really tried my best with that one. <laughs> Real quick, before we get into the six questions, where would you like to be found on the internet? I can typically be found on twitter.com at Riley Rich and also at the same place on Twitch. Is there a particular video game you're into right now? The one that I've been doing most is Minecraft. I'm playing through it on hardcore for the first time ever. And that basically means if I die in that world one time, I can never go back to that world. And I have to start completely over again from scratch. Ooh. And it's it's pretty rough and brutal. And surprisingly, I've only died twice. So I'm on my third attempt to beat it for the first time. And it's going pretty well now. I think I've got I think I've got things settled finally. <laughs> Riley, are you ready to answer the six questions? I'm ready. Question number one. When did you know you wanted to get into content creation? When did I want to get into content creation? I think it was probably 2015 or so, 2016. I'd been watching YouTube and I'd been watching shows. And I was like, anybody can sort of do that. What I think what did it for me was tabletop role-playing. Tabletop role-playing was like, I've been doing this since I was 10 years old. I've been making worlds. I've been making things. Why not do it for like money? Why not do it for publishing? Why not do it and get out there? And you saw this huge influx of people coming from Stranger Things, coming from the success of Critical Role, being brought into the community and really like starting to coalesce. I think when I really put my foot first into it was with my show, Packless Patrons, in 2019. In 2019, I wrote a small... Twitter thread that was just sort of a joke format. The idea for the joke was that warlocks in D&D have patrons, extra supernatural beings, 
that grant them magical powers. The idea is that there are patrons out there that don't have any warlocks who want to be their pact bound. So it's a support group for pactless patrons. <laughs> I just did a big long Twitter thread of like making up characters and like having them interact and it got a load of traction. And I went over to, I, and once it started getting traction, st people started to saying, is this gonna be a thing? Is this like anything? Do you have any plans for this? And I was like, maybe I should have plans for this. And so I contacted an illustrator friend because the initial idea was to turn it into a webcomic. And I was like, webcomic's easy. I've got the script. I just need somebody who can draw. And so I contacted an illustrator friend of mine. And I was like, hey, what do you think about like doing this as like webcomic? And she was like, yeah, that'd be great. I, I think this is a great concept. And then I got contacted by somebody else wonderful woman by the name of Angela who was like hi I'm in charge of like a voice podcasting group who would love to do a read of your thing and have it be like a show and I was like now wait on wait a second hold on I've got illustration over here and suddenly I've got voice acting over here why not make the two mix and so we worked together we put together a whole Kickstarter and we funded on Kickstarter and got $8,000 to help get it jump started. We are over halfway through the process of getting it out. I know the pandemic sort of kicked our butts a little bit on getting it, you know, published on time and everything, but we're still finishing production. We have all the voice acting recorded. We did a huge audition process with hundreds and hundreds of auditions that I sifted through with Angela and we had an amazing, we have an amazing cast. They're all great voice actors and still, still working on getting it out, but it is, we have a mantra with it. We are making a show. And at first the mantra was like, Hey, we get to make this thing. It gets to come out of nowhere and like be ours. And now it's like, you know what? 2020 threw us into a pandemic. Uh, everyone's lives got shunted aside. We are making a show despite that, in spite of it. We are going to get this thing made. And yeah, I think 2019 was the real catalyst for me to start putting myself out there and do content creation. Yeah. That is dope. That's awesome. <laughs> I was hoping you'd get into it because that is really, really cool. Yeah, it, it is really cool. It, and it's also sort of like that very like thing of you can make anything happen if you sort of just want it to and push hard enough and like put yourself into it. It's been really nice. Question number two. What do you wish you had known when you first started out? A lot. <laughs> Short, short answer, a lot. In terms of content creation, I've sort of gone further afield. If I could redo Packless Patrons, I would do the majority of the work first instead of like having it be after. That was a real first time like rookie mistake for Kickstarters mm. that I now recognize. And we're playing a bit of catch up with that. But thankfully, 
again, we still have a majority of our work already done. It's just needing to get the final pieces slotted, mostly the animation. Another thing I would have loved to know, audition processes are really <laughs> extensive. And when you open it up to the internet with an interesting project such as this, you will get a lot of talented people. And I learned how to listen for it. Angela was a huge help with that audition process. What else did you learn? Learning how to put together an audition a little bit better. And maybe, I mean, on the one hand, it was good. We cast our net so far afield and got so much, like, we had, like, legitimately, like, over 300 auditions that we sifted through. It was a heck of a week when Angela went and I went through those and nulled them down. Knowing that process beforehand would have given me a little easier time, but at least I know it now. Audio. I've learned so much about audio and audio levels and how to set up a good sound space. And I'm still improving my own space and like trying to get that better. But even with Twitch, it's like, you got to pay attention to your audio levels. They can sneak up on you or slip away at a moment's notice and it's like that's a huge thing that you got to pay attention to and just learning more, more about that has been an uphill battle but it's it's been a fun climb <laughs> other things i wish i knew i think what i would have liked to have known when i started you know conceptually you know conceptually that creating things and putting yourself out there and like making something, making content is hard and will take a toll, but goddamn, you don't know it until you've like felt it. Twitch takes a lot, like content creation takes a lot. Putting yourself out there on your own time, essentially freelancing without a boss, you're your own boss, which is one, liberating, but two, you gotta like put that under control. Yeah, that would have been a nice thing to know prior to that. And again, these are things that sort of just come with experience, I think. Those would have been nice to know a little more understandably firsthand. But, you know, everything, every new thing that you jump into has its own things like that. You know what I mean? Unforeseen challenges pop up. Yeah. Yeah, that's, yep. that is exactly what goes on on this side of the, this side of the microphone as well. <laughs> <laughs> I figured you could relate. <laughs> yeah. But I get to talk to but I get to talk to nerdy people all the time. It's great. <laughs> there you go. There you go. It has its big upsides. Question number three. What's your go-to order at your favorite hometown restaurant? Uh, see, this is actually a really difficult question because I don't know if I have I don't know if I have one favorite hometown restaurant that like dominates the rest of them. Okay. But I do have a couple and I do know exactly what I get from each of them. There's a ramen place near me that has incredible black garlic ramen. And ugh, getting getting that is just a tasty treat. I don't know if you've ever had black garlic before, but it's all the goodness of garlic, except it's become a little fermented. So it has that extra like umami flavor to it that just gives it mm, like a spicy little spicy little kick. Black garlic, black garlic is fantastic stuff. There's another place near me 
if I'm doing late nights and I want Mexican food, there's a place you can drive through that is a Mexican restaurant that will give you like restaurant quality food through a drive through window. And that, that is a fantastic thing to have. And when I go there, I get camarones a la diabla, which is shrimp in a spicy tomato mix with rice and beans. And they give you flour tortillas as well. Ah, oh, tasty stuff. Tasty, tasty stuff. <laughs> you know, this question is also closely related to, in my opinion, if you're on death row and you've got a last meal, what are you having? And if that's the case, I'm having my mom's chili and a grilled cheese sandwich she made. Like that, that cannot be beat. She's just the best at those. <laughs> Let's get into it. How does okay. your mom's grilled cheese differ from anybody else's? Like, what does she do to it? Or is it just one of those things? Like, my wife is a really good cook, and there are some things that she makes that it's just, you could just almost taste the love in it. It's what makes it mm-hmm. so good sometimes. Is it that, or is there like a, a special cheese, or is there like is like what does she do to make it so good? So she she does a couple things which are slightly different, but nothing so out of the realm of ordinary. Number one, she uses butter for the bread, and that's just that's just the ballpark for me. You know, like a lot of people use mayonnaise, but I think butter is. It just gives it that classic flavor of grilled cheese. Like mayonnaise is a perfectly fine substitute and it does really well, but there's something nostalgic about butter. And she also uses shredded cheese. She doesn't use like Kraft singles or anything like that. We get a cheese over here called Tillamook cheese that's produced in Oregon. That is some of the best cheese that you can get in America, like hands down. Tillamook cheese is amazing. So she gets Tillamook sharp cheddar And she puts it on the bread. And then it's a very simple cooking process. Butter on both sides, shredded cheese in the center, throw it on the skillet, cover it with pan lid. When it's ready, flip it over. That's the whole thing. But it's like, it's definitely got the element of love to it as well. Like grilled cheese is a comfort food. Grilled cheese is what you get on like a snow day or when you're home feeling like sick a little bit. And so, like, it's not an everyday thing. And so when she makes you a grilled cheese, that she's making you the extra mom love and going that extra mile with it, too. So, yeah, it definitely has that factor as well. Man, that sounds good. <laughs> that sounds good. I know. Good. I want a grilled cheese. <laughs> Question number four. What are you curious about? I'm going to answer this very nebulously at first. Everything. When I went to college, I originally went to college and thought I would either get a political science degree or a creative writing degree. So I went for poli sci first, got a hugely conservative teacher who was super into Reaganomics. And I was like, nah, pass not going to do this with this faculty and then i tried to get into a creative writing class but it was full so sophomore year came around they were like hey you don't have a major you have to pick a major you can't just keep going here without like a focus you got there is a deadline and it is today you got to decide and i was like crap what do i do that's going to allow me to graduate on time 
that I can get the credits for? Like, what do I do? And so I looked through the list and there was philosophy. And it was like nine credits, easy enough to fill out. I can do this by the time I graduate as a senior. So boom, I became a philosophy major overnight. And in hindsight, that was probably the best decision I've made. One of the best decisions I've made in my life. Because whereas there's a lot of other majors that sort of like pump themselves up a bit and you're like, if you take this class, it'll do so much amazing stuff and you can go down these career paths, like all that like South points. <laughs> I walked into my philosophy counselor's room and I was like, so like, what is the best thing about a philosophy degree? Like, what can it do for me? I had that mindset. They're like, you know how all these other degrees like have these tracks? And I was like, yeah, yeah, for sure. They're like, we are the only degree that knows we're fully bullshit and that every other degree is bullshit. And that's what makes us better. And I was like, huh, not exactly the answer I was expecting to get. When you get into philosophy, you start like understanding that a little bit better. There's this sense of, as humans, we really don't know anything. We know, we know some things for certain. We know how gravity works generally. I put an asterisk on that because if you start thinking about gravity and like actually investigating how gravity works, it's an unknowable force that comes from somewhere that might have quantum implications. Once you start questioning things, you start realizing how little we know. And it gets you curious. It sparks that whole thing. And so philosophy for me is a degree in question. It gives you the apparatus to be curious and the apparatus to investigate the world around you and be curious and learn how to be curious in constructive ways and how to... I had a class that was called language, truth, and reality. And my teacher one day came in and was like, describe a cat as concisely as you can without using the word cat and without making a mistake and relating it to something else. So for instance, if we said furry four-footed animal, that could be mistaken as a dog, right? So like, she challenged us to describe a cat without using that and mistaking it for something else. And it's like suddenly you get into the understanding that words are really important. And if you don't have a word for something, you don't have a conception of that thing. That class was fantastic and really pushed me to think about how language is used and like what truth is. For instance, there is a people in there's a group of people in Australia, an Aborigine group, who don't have words for north, south, east, or west. They don't have words for front or behind. They don't have words for left or right. Their entire language is focused around person to point perception. So like, instead of saying I'm right behind you, they might say, and I'm probably butchering this, but so don't quote me directly, but they would say, I am like, a, like you don't even know how to quite describe it because it's in a different linguistic setting, you know what I mean? But like, because their sense of direction is all global and all point referential, they actually have the best sense of direction of any group of people on earth. 
which is really interesting. Philosophy really made me curious. And I've been curious my whole life. Like I used to go down Wikipedia rabbit holes when I was in high school for fun and just spend hours going through pages and going deeper and deeper. And I would start in like the White House and end up in like tap dancing fishes page. Like, I don't even know. Like you just go on these tangents and you don't know where they're gonna end, but it's always really fun to get there. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I would say that I'm curious about everything. There's not anything that I'm not curious about. I think the death of curiosity is a really sad thing to see in people. You come across some folks and you see them and you realize it's been turned off at some point, whether willingly or not. And you're like, that person has stopped being curious. And it's really sad. I feel sad for people when they're not curious, when they just don't care or they have like easy explanations. And it's like, no, I, I'm, I want you to have that same spark. And so I think for myself, I hope I never lose that spark. I think if I ever stop being curious about everything, I think that's going to be a really sad day in my life. And I hope I never hit it. What ideas are fueling your curiosity now? I would say myself right now. So to, I guess to get into it a little bit, I have always been a very depressed and anxious person. I shouldn't say always, it's been since my teens. And in the last couple of years, I was sort of forced into isolation and to really start questioning myself. I had had a breakup and suddenly I found myself living alone. And suddenly I found myself with a lot of time to reflect on things. And that caused me to reflect on a lot of my own identity and you know, one of the things that I learned in that process is that I'm trans. <laughs> People my whole life have been, have always been sort of questioning of me because I have never quite lined up with like masculinity. And so a question I've gotten a lot through my life is, Riley, are you gay? And I'm like, no, don't, not, not, not sexually interested in men. No, thank you. Like it, it, it's fine if you are, but like, that's not for me, but it kept cropping up and it's like, in every relationship I had, people were like, are you sure you're not a little gay? And I was like, I'm, I'm not, I'm not gay. Like, and then, so finally, once I had this breakup and I had this time in myself, I really investigated that. I was like, am I gay? Like, is, is, is there any bit of my like self that is attracted to the same gender? And I really like went through that and took time to think about things and came out with the conclusion, no, I'm not attracted to men. And then I was like, 